this text, just so you know, this is the text where Jesus goes in and flips over tables. And you'd think it'd be really exciting and you just kind of focus on that, but that's just a really small part on this. This, this one, man, I spent a lot of time in prayer and just study on this passage, and I hope that God speaks to your guys' heart as he did mine. Uh, we are walking through our series uh, called uh, The Gospel According to Mark and just watching the life and walking through the life and ministry of Jesus verse by verse and it's been a good study. Last week we saw in Mark chapter 11, the first 11 verses, Jesus rode in in Jerusalem as king. And people were throwing down their branches and their, their palm branches and their coats in front of him as Jesus rode in on that colt. They had looked at Jesus really as they wanted him to be their military and political king and savior. And they missed that he truly was king overall and that he came to be the one not to save them from Rome, but to save them from their, their sins. And at the very end of our text, last week in verse 11, it says that Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. So Jesus does that a lot. He goes in and he takes inventory. He, he looks and just takes it all in. And so he was seeing everything that was happening in the temple. And then he goes away to rest uh, to be ready for the next day. And so that brings us to our text today. If you guys would open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. We're looking at a larger section, 12 through 25 today. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one or steal your neighbor's, right? Just, there's one in your row. Um, I, I, I don't even know what I was going to say next. But yeah, grab, that, grab the Bible in Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 25. Uh, open up your devices or your phones and to Mark chapter 11, verse 12, so we can read that together. Leading up to our text today, Jesus had just stayed in, uh, in the, overnight in Bethany, and he heads out the next morning and heads toward the temple in Jerusalem. So that's what we'll pick up. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. On the next day, when they, so it's Jesus and his disciples, when they left Bethany, he became hungry. Jesus did. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not seasoned for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves, and he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach them and say to them, Is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him. For the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they would go out of the city. Verse 20, as they were passing by in the morning, so this is the next day, as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered up from the roots, from the roots up, being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the tree, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, said to him, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not have doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Let's pray, church. God, we love you. We thank you, God, that you are in charge. We thank you, God, that you know what's going on. You're involved in the details of all of our lives, God. So we pray today that we would just hear from you where and how we need to hear from you, God. 
As Levi prayed, God, help, help the words that come from me this morning be from you and be honoring to you, God. And we pray, Lord, that you would just be in charge of all, over all of that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so diving in, in verse 12, Jesus is, is, is coming into town. He's heading toward the temple, and he is hungry. Mark writes in verse 13, Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. So in, in their area, fig trees were everywhere. Some of them were privately owned, some of them were public, and they were usually harvested about twice a year. And the normal time for this fruit on this tree to be harvested was coming up in June, but Jesus is there probably late March or early April is that timeline. And so they see this, this, this fig tree along the road, which means, it means it's public. Jesus can go in and take from it without getting in trouble. And so when he, when he sees that it was in leaf, right? When it's in leaf, it means that leaves were growing on it. I don't know why they just didn't say it. Leaves were growing on the thing. It's in leaf. I guess it's easier. But so, so this, this leaf, it, it was early. It's unusual that the leaves would have been on there, but it's, it wasn't unheard of. It would depend on where the tree was planted. It would depend on the weather. It would depend on the health of the tree. And it would depend a lot on the soil, and so Jesus sees that tree in leaves, and so he heads towards it. So at this stage, uh, this fruit would have been small. You're not going to go get a big old ripe apple or something off this thing, so it wasn't going to be fully grown. But if you see a, this is important here, if you see a fig tree with leaves on it, it's supposed to have fruit on it. Are you with me? It could be real small. In fact, uh, some commentators will say it's small and bitter, but it will satisfy your hunger, right? And so Jesus, being hungry, he's heading towards the fruit on that tree. Coming to verse 13, or continuing verse 13, And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Mark is just letting us know it's early, but probably due to it being planted in good soil, and it's already sprouted leaves, which means there should be fruit, small and bitter, but it should be there. But he gets there, and when we look at it, there's no fruit, it's barren. So in verse 14, he said to it, Jesus says, May no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples were listening. That statement that the disciples were listening tells us something important. Jesus wasn't throwing a hissy fit, okay? I have a foster daughter that is almost, she's, I don't know, so many months old, right? 20 months old. And you wake this child up, and if it's time for her baba, right, bottle, and it's not right there for her, she gets something that my wife calls hangry, right? Brittany says that a lot too, that's why I'm looking at her. Brittany will tell you that she gets hangry a lot, right? So Jesus wasn't hangry at this moment, okay? This is a teaching moment that, he is, that he's about to have. So it's important that we know that his disciples were listening. So, so it's not that he's just angry, taking rage out on an innocent tree. He's trying to teach, this, teach his disciples something with, the, with this tree as a visual illustration, He's showing them and teaching them that this tree, although it had leaves, it had no fruit. Its leaves on the tree promised one thing, but it did not produce what it promised. Are you with me? It was a hypocritical fig tree, I guess we could say. The outward appearance said, come here, I have fruit that will meet your needs. But when you arrive, you find it was deceptive. You find it was all show and no substance. So what Jesus is trying to teach here is this, as he's heading to the temple, what is he trying to teach? He's using this fig tree to to describe the Jewish people and the temple. How do we know that? Because in the Old Testament, on a few occasions, the Bible referred to the people of Israel and their temples as a fig tree. 
And, and often it wasn't in, it wasn't a good reference, right? It was often regarding judgment. They were being judged from turning away from God. They were being judged for, for or being condemned for being wicked or for changing course from what God had intended, really from, from turning away from God. So the temple had a very specific purpose. The people of God had a purpose. They were to follow God. But in the, but in the places God referenced judgment, or throughout the Old Testament, whenever he's talking about condemnation in reference to the fig tree, he's talking about the people falling away and being fruitless. Not doing what they should do as God's people. Not being who they should be. So Jesus is using this fig tree and he's really condemning it as an illustration for not providing what its appearance promised. Because of the age of the tree, because of the soil, and because of the leaves, this tree should have fruit. But it was barren. It had no fruit. It was lifeless, church. And so Jesus condemns it. And he does that as he's about to head into the temple. When we think about the temple, the temple is the place that's at the heart of the Jewish faith. It's, it's at the heart of their worship of God. And so he's about to, to come in and condemn and expose the people's hearts that are in the temple. The temple was a, a place to worship God, <clears throat> to be in his presence, a place of prayer for the nations as we'll see as we go through this. And Jesus is going to expose them for what they've become. If you can just imagine it, they have this beautiful temple, a, a place of God. It should have produced much fruit for God, right? It should have been a place of reverence towards God, a place to worship God and worship Him alone. It should have been a place to seek God and pray. So from the outside, it looked apart. It looked like a place to go and worship and pray, but it was found barren and with no fruit, with no worship. And so it had become lifeless, fruitless, and a place of hypocrites. So that's why we have this, this fig tree where Jesus is teaching on the way into the temple. Because whenever he goes in there and cleans house, they'll understand what he's talking about. So after the illustration with the tree, we come to verse 15. They came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And overturned the tables of the money changers and, and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. So there's a lot going on here. Jesus has passed. He's already condemned the tree. He's walking into the temple and he, and he cleans house. But I think it's necessary to describe the temple and its layout and its purpose so we can get an idea of what's happening. So we can kind of really understand what's happening here and see why Jesus is driving these guys out and flipping them over. So you can see up here, you've got a picture of what the temple would have looked like. At the time Jesus went into the temple, it wasn't quite complete yet. It took a long time to build, but this, is a, this gives us a good idea of what it would, what it would look like. It's, it's huge. It's a beautiful place. Uh, the only thing that's left is some pillars that are standing to this day. When you look at it, it's divided into different sections. So you have... You've got this main intersection, but you see the walls around it, right? You guys with me? You see the walls around it? That's known as the court of the Gentiles. So if you're not a Jewish person, that's where you go. All right? And then, so that's the largest section. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, but that's where the non-Jews would go. Then you go right inside where that gold door is. You go right inside that front part. And that front part is really known as the court of women. That's, that's as far as they were allowed to go. That's where they would go and worship and pray. And then you go back into that, right, before, right the area surrounding that taller area, right? The Jewish men would be allowed in that area. And then that tall area right there, are you guys following me so far? 
All right, that tall area right there is known as the holy place or the holy of holies. And so this is important that we hear this. That was only for the high priest to go into in only certain times of year. So our focus is going to be that outside area right there known as the, the court of Gentiles, still very much a part of the temple. And so here's what would normally happen this time of year as people are going into the temple. People would come to the temple and they would bring their sacrifices to God with them or, or they could come and just purchase an approved animal to sacrifice. All right? So as they're coming in, they could, they could bring their own in or they could buy one. They would bring their best animal, their best, their best lamb. Or for those that were poorer, they, would, they were allowed to bring in doves for their sacrifice, two doves. One Jewish historian said that in one Passover, this, there was just a study he did, two 255,000 lambs were brought, sold, and sacrificed on the temple in the year 66 AD. It's a lot of people in this area, right? And so people, people would also bring in coins because if they wanted to use the temple services, they would, there, there would be fees for that. But to be able to pay these fees, you had to use Jewish currency. So if you come in with the American dollar, they didn't have the American dollar back then, just in case you're wondering. Ben, I knew you were thinking that, right? But, but if you bring in your, your American dollar, right, they're going to do a currency exchange, Okay, so that's normal. That's normal at this time of year. So a place that was a a holy place, a temple of God, Jesus sees that what's happening inside these walls was anything but what God had designed. You have the appearance of a temple and a place of God, but when you walked inside, it's anything but that. Here's what Jesus is seeing. We talked about what should be happening, but here's what Jesus is seeing. Some of the things that caused him to condemn and clean house. As people traveled, many would bring an animal to sacrifice, their best animal. There would be inspectors there looking at these sheep and these doves and they would look at them and making sure that they were spotless enough or pure enough for a sacrifice. And it just so has it that that most of the time these inspectors would say, man, this animal's not good enough for God. So you could trade that animal in. You bring in, you know, a little Betsy sheep or whatever you name your sheep, right? Don't name your sheep. It's going to get sacrificed. It's just weird, Levi. Don't do that, man. Right? So, so you, you don't have to kill animals anymore. So, so as they're bringing their sheep in, they would be told, hey, your, your sheep's not good enough, so you could exchange them for one that is. And so, so it was like an approved sacrificial animal. But instead of them giving you a fair price for yours and charging you a fair price for theirs, they would give you less. This is what was happening. They would give you less than what you should be getting for your animal, and they were charging you more than what their animal was worth. So many got to the point where they're just not even bringing animals anymore. They just, they're just going to go and they're just going to pay the outrageous fees and not lose their animal. And the people inside, those that were leading and those that were taking advantage of, they didn't, they didn't care. They didn't even care if you were poor. They were going to take advantage of you. 255,000 people are being taken advantage of. Approximately, right? And so when there was an exchange of currency, they, they again would charge an outrageous fee to exchange coins. Can you imagine the robbing of these people that are coming to worship God? And Jesus looked around, and here's what he saw. He saw extortion. He saw bribery. He saw greed. He saw dishonest, dishonesty happening all around him. And it's a busy, busy place, and it's just happening all around him. And so Jesus takes action. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves, and he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. So this... this I think it's, yeah, it's gone. But the, the temple's huge, right? And it's, it's ginormous. People, as they were walking through the, the town, through this city, they really had a choice as they're walking. They could go around this thing, which they should, right? Or they could just walk right through these, these temple courtyards. Guess where they're walking through? 
the Gentile courtyards. They were using this holy place as a shortcut. This this was a place to have reverence for God, and they were just simply using it as a pass-through. A sign of irreverence to the temple and irreverence to God. It was as if they were uninterested in the presence and majesty of God. So first you have those that were intentionally stealing from people and misusing the holy place. And then you have these people just walking back and forth, doing their, doing their daily business, not giving a rip about where they are walking through. Just doing what they want to do. Never giving a second thought to the fact that they were in the presence of a holy God. When you look into the Old Testament, just kind of show you how far they have gotten. When you look into the Old Testament, being in the temple and being in the presence of God, you're going to see before people would come into the temple, before they would come into the presence of God, they had a time of preparation. Psalm 24, 3-4 says this, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? Here's what it says, The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. You'd really have to search yourself out and, and, and take your heart to God and prepare your heart. That's, that's what being in the presence of God should cause us to do. God, before, I just want to get a clean heart before I come to you, God. Verse 50, or, uh, Psalm 15, if you look at that, it's just a whole list of things that, that you would need to do before you would go into the temple. Preparation for worship before a holy God was huge and important. And these people are just walking through like nothing ever happened, like nothing mattered. And they had missed out on it completely. They'd become uninterested in God and they had become uninterested in his majestic presence. I mean, it, it, this is important because the, the temple, it was the center of their religious life. It's the center of their faith. And Jesus is seeing that the leaders here of their faith, they're not leading people to true worship and, and authentic worship of God. He sees that the people are just casual in what they're doing and they're missing the presence of God. And so Jesus interrupts business as usual. For us, in application, it's different for us, as, as Levi says, we're not sacrificing animals anymore. Jesus took care of that sacrifice. Amen, church, right? But, but if you know Christ, if you are saved, man, we have God living within us. Amen? Let's try that one again. We have God living within us if we know Christ. Amen, church? And so for us today as the church, the church really means it's ecclesia, the called out, the assembling of, of his people, the assembling together, the followers of Jesus Christ. For us, we too can get distracted. We too can get caught up in just doing religious activity and we can lose focus and miss the point of what we're doing. These people here, they had missed the point. They had missed what was important and what God had for them. They were lifeless with no true worship. That's what Jesus was seeing in a temple that was meant to worship him. And keep this in mind, as we walk through there, there's no mention of prayer. There's no mention of them doing what they should be doing. There's no mention of any worshiping God and reverence to their holy God. There's no evidence of faith. There was a temple and they were in it, but there was no fruit, no life, no true and authentic worship. And so when we think about this in reference to that fig tree with Jesus, the soil was good, there were leaves, but there was no fruit. Those in the temple have no evidence of real worship to God. I find it interesting. I like to dive into these words here. I like to understand really the depth of the words. I think that's the fun part of walking through passages and preaching verse by verse. You just get to really see stuff that you might miss. In verse 15, it says this, that Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out. That phrase, he began to drive out those who were buying and selling the temple. Selling in the temple. That phrase, to drive out, is the same phrase used, the same Greek word used when Jesus is casting out demons. Driving them out, casting them out. It's the, same, it's the same word. In the eyes of Jesus, this was pure evil. 
what he was seeing in the temple. There's no evidence of God working in their lives. There's no evidence of them worshiping him with their lives. They were blatant acts. They were counter. They were doing counter what God had commanded. And just as Jesus casted out the evil and the demons earlier in Mark, he's casting out and driving out the temple, uh, the evil from the temple. And let's, before we pick on the religious leaders here for a minute, I don't, I don't think these relig- religious leaders, if I could talk, and the people just woke up one day and said, you know what? I think today is going to be the day that I'm just going to casually walk by and not even think about the presence of God. I think I'm going to just forget about what this temple was built for and use it to rip people off. I think that's what I'm going to do this morning. Right? I don't think they thought, I, I think I will just be disrespectful and irreverent to God and not worry about what he says or thinks or how he leads me. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's probably a lot like what we see today. People that casually let other things get in the way. Casually let other priorities take up too much space. Casually start working for themselves or maybe the dollar and casually start drifting away. Right? Drifting away from God want, from what God wants in our life, drifting from what God saved us to be and do, drifting from what God says is our priority in our life, drifting from what God designed the church to be, the local church and us as the church, drifting from being in his word. I, got, I, get, I get convicted every few weeks because we have a day uh, where I, I pray with my kiddos every night and then uh, we spend a lot of time reading the Bible and if I miss a day, my kids let me know, man. But I'm grateful for them. Because I can drift away from that. Are you with me, church? We can just, not intentionally, but we just drift away. In Revelation chapter 2, we, we, we see a message toward the church of Ephesus, but really a message, message that could be heard by all. In verse 2, it's talking about the church of Ephesus, and it's talking about their hard work, and their patient endurance, and their fight against evil. All sounds pretty good so far, right? It talks about the churches strive to have no false teaching. It talks about that they, were, they haven't grown weary in what they were doing. But then in verse 4 it says this, But I have this against you, just one thing, that you have left your first love. The church became mechanical, just religious in nature. They had forgot about and they had left why they did what they did and who they did it for. I heard a saying one time, we get so good at doing church, would we even know if the presence of God was no longer in our church? If you know Jesus, let me be very clear, we are the church, right? We're gathered today together, right, as, as, the, as the local church that God has sovereignly put together. Let's, but, but let us never lose sight of Jesus and our love for him as the church. When we are here this morning, right, and next week, and in life groups, and those types of things, let us, let us serve, let us sing, let us learn, let us rejoice, let us love on one another, let's encourage one another, not because it's the thing to do, but because we love Jesus. Because he is in us, and because we love him. And church, that doesn't just stay here in this room, like, okay, we came to church, we did our church thing, it can't stop there, because then we're not being the church out in the community, This is just a building. This is just a time for us to gather and celebrate and make much of Jesus. Are you with me, church? Right? But this is just a building. We, as the church, we are to go into our homes, to our families, to our community, to our workplace, and to our schools, and we are to live a life of genuine worship for God. Everything in our life should point to God. We live a life of service and sharing, and we love our neighbors, and we share Jesus. That's true worship. And we don't do it out of obligation. We do it because we love Jesus. And because we have God within us, 
Let's just own up to this real quick. We are going to sin. We are going to mess up. Man, I, I, I was praying for our church last night, and I just, I just love doing that. But then you sit around and you're like, man, we're messy. We are. Like, we got junk in our lives, don't we? We got sin in our lives. But, but church, let us, let us ne- let's, let's not use that as, as an excuse, right? Let's not drift away. That's the whole idea of repent. Man, you mess up, you turn back to Jesus, right? Let us never drift away, but keep turning back to him, keep continuing to seek his face, and falling more and more and more and more in love with Jesus. And that will not only keep you from missing God completely like these guys were doing, but it changes everything about you. It changes everything about you. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you love with Jesus, the better your marriage is, the better your relationship with your kids is. Are you with me, church? It just changes everything about us. It changes why we do what we do, and it keeps us focused. At Authentic Life Church, we exist. You heard it. It's on the bulletin. We exist to connect people to Jesus. Why? Because we love Jesus. And we love people. We say that we exist to grow together. Why? Because we love Jesus and we love each other. We say that we exist to live authentically for Him. Why? Not just to have some cool catchphrase with the church name in it, right? But we pursue that because we love Jesus, right? And we want to live a life that consistently worships Him. Not in a way that we just look the part. All of y'all look like you love Jesus today. I hope you do, right? Sometimes I can just look like I love Jesus, but I hope I do, right? We don't want to be lifeless. We want to, we want to not just look the part, but we want to have true, authentic worship, a God-centered life, church. We can get super good at doing church, can't we? Right? We can get really good at, at looking the part, saying the right things, singing the right songs. We can also get really good at pretending, But Jesus sees right through all of that. He doesn't want you to just look like his church. He doesn't want you to just look like his church and like a a follower of his. He doesn't want our pretend and our hypocrisy. He wants you. Right? He wants all of you. He wants all of us to be after him and look more and more like him. In Matthew 15, Jesus confronts the religious leaders calling out their hypocrisy. Man, they want everybody to know, I look like I follow Jesus, like I follow God, right? I look, I look like I'm religious. I look the part. And Jesus says to them in Matthew 15, verse 7, hypocrites. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Isaiah prophesies correctly about you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Church, let's not just be lip service, right? But with our hearts far from God. Let's not just go through the motions. Let let us not just say and sing the right things. Let our hearts fully belong to God. Back to Mark, verse 17. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a robber's Din. Jesus has their attention, right? He has stopped business as usual. I think flipping over the tables and kicking people out, I think, he, I think they got, I think they're, they're, they're paying attention. And so Jesus teaches with this statement. He uses the word of God to remind them and teach them. And so he quotes from Isaiah 56, 7, for my house, he's reminding them, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. And then Jesus quotes from Jeremiah 7, 11. And says that they have made his house, instead of a place of worship and a place of prayer, they've made it a robber's den. Jesus saw the fig tree when he was hungry. And he went to the one that had good soil and had leaves on it. But when he got there, it was barren with no fruit. 
and here people from all nations they're hearing about this temple. They know the temple is the place to go because you can pray and you can be in the presence of God and you can worship God. People from all the nations are coming to the temple to, to worship and pray and they get there and what happens? They are robbed and extorted and, and, the, and the robbers use this temple to get away with it. They're doing it in the name of God. The very place that was set aside for the nations, for the Gentiles to gather was being used as a marketplace to steal and disrupt instead of a place to draw people to God. The temple, this courtyard, was a place that was used to draw people to God. The Bible's very clear about that, to be a witness for God. That they, and they've lost sight of that. You look into 1 Kings, there's a whole prayer over, uh, over the temple. And just say, man, let this place be a place that, that draws people to, new, to you and it's a witness for you. It was, it was a place that was meant to be a witness to the nations. To, to show who God was and to bring people to God. And not only had they forgotten that and just didn't do it, they took the courtyard to that was a place for the nations and they turned it into a house of robbers. What God had designed to draw people to Him, they flipped it to draw people to give them money. Are you with me, church? For us, we no longer go to, t- to a temple to seek God and pray, right? Because here's the reality. If you're saved... Here's the great part. You have complete access to God. Right? He resides within us. I was talking with a guy this week, just going through some brokenness. And just reminding him, and God hadn't left you. He's with you. You're in the presence of God. God's within you. And he calls us. This is what, this is what God calls us to do. This is not Pastor Jeff. This is not Levi leading us in a song. This is God calling us to be his witnesses and to reach the nations. That's what he calls us to do. And so we need to be careful to not lose focus of that and not take our eyes off the mission. Church, here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, we are to be with him. And as we're with him, we look more and more like Jesus and point the nations to Jesus. To our lives, point people to Jesus. To a Savior that they so desperately need. Does your life do that? Does my life do that? Does our church as a whole do that? Which means our lives should show evidence that we belong to Jesus, right? We need to have that fruit. Are you with me? So Jesus, using this moment to teach them and point them back to God, to what God designed the temple to be and what he designed his people to be, he goes in there and he sees what's going on and he he just flips it over and he reteaches them. He cleans house and after he teaches, we see the religious leaders aren't too happy about this. I, I can't imagine why not, right? I can't imagine why they weren't happy. But it says this, the chief priest and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. If you've been with us, we've already seen this, if not, a few chapters back, the religious leaders have already decided that they're going to conspire to destroy and kill Jesus. And now they feel they have this opportunity right here. Everyone saw what Jesus did in the temple, and they they just continued their plan to destroy and kill him. Verse 19 says, when evening came, they would go out of the city. So Jesus is going to go rest outside the city. And then we see that Jesus and the disciples the next day, they're, they're coming back out, uh, probably in Bethany, but coming back into the city. And then we see in verse 20, it says the next day, as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. So this tree planted in good soil, it had good leaves on it, but it was fruitless. It couldn't provide what its appearance promised. So Jesus condemns it, right? You don't want people walking to this thing to go eat. It, it could not provide what it was supposed to as a tree. 
And so Jesus condemns it, and they're walking back by this tree the next morning. And so he uses it again as an illustration when they see it withered up from the roots. This thing is just dead now. It's, it's, just, it's gone. And so Matthew's account said that the disciples were amazed at how quickly it had withered. Think about this. Once a tree that produced, it's now barren and has withered away. Really, Jesus is using this to point him back to the temple. Think about the temple. This beautiful temple built to worship God and to pray and point the nations to God would soon be no more. We'll be here in a few weeks, but Mark chapter 13, we see in verse 1, as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, so this is a few chapters ahead, teacher, behold what beautiful stones and what beautiful buildings. And Jesus says in verse 2, and Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Jesus is telling them the temple will be destroyed. And history shows that about 40 years later, the Romans come in, and, and really history says that they killed millions of Jewish people and destroyed the temple. Just like the fig tree, the temple would be gone. But the great news is this. With Jesus, right, he came to die on the cross and rising again from the dead. He is now the high priest. Amen. He's the one we go to. I've, I've had, as pastor, I've, I've had people come and like confess things to me. And I, and I, you, good, let's, let's walk through that. Let's pray about it. But you know you can take that right to Jesus, right? You can take that right to Jesus. And in the temple, there used to be a veil that, that blocked the people from going into the Holy of Holies. No one could go beyond that to have access to God except the high priest. But here's a great thing. When Jesus died for us, that veil was torn from top to bottom, right? And now we have direct access to God through Christ Jesus. To them, the temple represented the center of their faith. And now that responsibility belongs to Jesus and only Jesus. And their faith doesn't need to be in a building or religious leaders, but their faith is to be centered on Jesus, which will take us into this next part. Look at verse 22. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does, not doubt in his, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he, is, that he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Jesus is not, I just want to let you, Jesus isn't literally saying here that the mountain is going to move, right? He's using it as an example. Here's what he's saying. The impossible can happen when you have faith in God. The impossible can happen when you have faith in God. Verse 24, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Now let me stop real quick. This is just free. There's teaching out there called the prosperity gospel, okay? All right, that says, man, if you just ask anything in Jesus' name, you're going to get it. That's a false teaching, church. That's not what this is saying. This is talking about asking something in the name of God. Are you with me? And be in line with God. Verse 25, when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Jesus is saying, have faith and confidence in who Jesus is in who God is and what he is able to do. God is able to do the impossible in our lives. He is able to do the impossible for what he wants to accomplish in this world. So why does Jesus go from the fig tree and start talking about having faith in God and praying? Because many had, had their faith in the religious system. They had their faith in the temple. And despite the temple's great presence and power and holiness, right, it would soon be destroyed. And so Jesus is redirecting their faith. 
The temples would no longer be the focal point of God's presence among the people. When Jesus dies on the cross, access to God is no longer closed off and only accessible to a few, but open for all through faith in who, church? In Jesus. And so having genuine faith in God and praying, seeking his heart and his will, seeking the power of God, really lining up with his mission and his desires and his plans. That's what we take to God. And when we pray, we are seeking his power to do the impossible. We pray, and we've prayed this before Jessica and I ever moved to, where are we at? Tucson. I don't know, I don't know what I was going to say. God do things in and through us that only you can take credit for. Now, that was really a prayer that I prayed to help me with my pride. Are you with me? But it's such a powerful prayer. God, do things. Just let us be obedient to you. Let us be faithful to you and see you do things we can never take credit for. Do the impossible, God. Do the impossible. And when we pray, we just seek his power to do the impossible, but also, church, his wisdom to give us what we need. Jesus talks about forgiveness. I'm going to tackle this the best way I know how. You read commentaries, you're going to get 14 different answers on why this is the way it is and why this is all in there. But Jesus, he talks about forgiveness and and forgiving people. Are you with me, church? He talks about that. But Jesus took all of our sin. If we look at this in the context of this, Jesus is about to, for them, really take all of our sin. He's talking about being the focal point, right? He takes all of our sin. He took it on the cross. And if we trust in him to save us, he forgives us of all of our sins. Isn't that amazing? Like, I sit there and think about things that I've done in my life, and I'm like, are you sure, God, you really want to forgive that one? Like, are you sure? But he forgives all of our sins, and to have true faith, to seek God in prayer, and not that have that be hindered, we too must forgive. It's a fruit, right? Man, if we are following Christ, and, we, and he's living within us, we have no choice but to forgive. Let nothing be in our way of honoring and obeying and following the example of our Lord as we point people to Jesus. There's a great saying that says this, forgiven people, forgive people. We show that we love and honor God when we too forgive others. Church, Jesus says in 15, John 15, 4, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears what? Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let our lives represent who lives within us. Just let that sink in for a second. Let our lives represent who lives within us. Let those around us be pointed to Jesus by how we live. Man, that was convicting for me. I was sitting there. I, I had a moment with God about just my kiddos, man. I, I want them to see Jesus in me. I don't want them to say, hey, your dad's a pastor or he's a good guy. No, I want them to see Jesus. Are you with me, church? Man, we want our lives to, to point people to Jesus by how we live, not just by what we say. And when we pray, when we seek God in prayer, church, here's the great thing. We can have confidence in him, right? That he is able to do more than we could ever ask or think. I mean, just think about the biggest thing you can imagine God doing. I, my, my prayer for a while has been, take this community, which is under 5% saved, by the way. About 95% of the people that surround us in this community are going to die without Jesus if they died today. Does that not just rattle you? And my prayer is, God, flip that upside down. Let there be 5% of the people that 95% are reaching. Are you with me, church? And he can do that. When we come to God, we can know that he hears us and we can have confidence in him. 
I'm going to be honest with you. This is one of those passages that was tough. It was tough to study. It was, it was convicting. Tough to really dissect and have complete understanding of it. But I think we have these, these as major, major takeaways. This is the first one. Let our lives not be lifeless or fruitless. Lives that only sing the songs, go to church, look religious, and look the part. But when our lives are really examined, they are fruitless and lifeless. So let our lives show that we belong to Jesus. Two, let us have God-centered worship. There's a, there's a verse that says, whether we eat or drink. Very mundane things, right? We just do them. Do all for the glory of God. Let's try that again. Whether we eat or we drink, we do all for the glory of God. God-centered worship. Pursue a life where we bring glory and honor to God each and every day. Pursue a life where Jesus lives through us because our lives are centered around Him. Here's a, here's a tough one. This is just in, in regards to that. Let our lives not be for our glory. Man, we don't share Jesus so that we get credit. Are you with me? Man, we don't do church. We don't come to church so that we look... Are you with me, church? Man, this is, that was a good one for me. Let it not be about our glory, but for His and to point others to Jesus. Let others see Jesus at work in us. And last is this. Let us be a people that have faith in the Almighty God who can do the impossible. Let us be people that have faith in the Almighty God who can do the impossible. Let's pray.